I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Money point seven. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please, uh, for this afternoon's feature attraction. From the, from the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan, and uh, Corey, we will talk about Oscar contenders from the first half of the year, Clint Eastwood's new biopic with an old hand of the genre, and what we're watching on DVD, but first, Megan Fox might have gotten the axe on Michael Bay's Transformers, but the hex is on. As in Jonah Hex, the latest in badass, sexy, sci-fi, horror, western adventure. Look, Corey, I try not to pull any punches here, so let's be realer than real, okay? Initial peaks at Jonah Hex looked good, as in not terrible. But now we're finally here, our beloved DC comic about a rough and tough bounty hunter out to stop a naughty terrorist in the Old West is finally here. We're basically talking Ghost Rider meets Wild Wild West meets League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, all punctuated by that talented sex kitten best known for scaring us to death in Jennifer's body, Megan Fox, meaning we're in. So, Corey, question. Did Josh Brolin bring the pain in this long-awaited action party, or is there a new Pixar movie out that we're going to review instead? I'm going to say the latter. Oh, okay, right. So Toy Story 3 also came out following the first two movies that not only introduced the world to Pixar Animation Studios, but immediately established that studio as a supreme storytelling institution in an assembly line of highly marketable products. Enter Disney, by the way, when you hear highly marketable yep. products. John Lasseter, you know, the brains behind Pixar, along with many others, conceived and helmed the first two films, which were smash hits that launched the still-budding stream of computer animated masterpieces like Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, Wall-E, and The Incredibles that you and I not only love but genuinely cherish. And Lasseter hands the reins over to newbie director Lee Unkrich for the third film, its story picking up roughly 10 years since the last film, which was released in 1999, where Andy is entering college and is ready to say goodbye to his beloved childhood toys by donating them to a nearby daycare center. My question to you, Corey, is... Did Pixar overstay its welcome in this universe and lose the film's once charming characters and themes to simply cash in on its reliable revenue machine? Or does the winning streak continue? Well, I think that there is one phrase that you will never hear in Pixar Studios, and that phrase is, it's good enough. They're not content to do what you said and simply cash in on a marketable idea just because it is an idea. I should qualify this just so I don't seem like a complete Pixar fanboy, even though I am, by saying that while Toy Story 3 didn't immediately strike me as much as their past two, past three movies did, uh, Ratatouille, Wally, and Up, which I consider to be the studio's best, um, it's still kind of a masterpiece, and I think it's a great movie. Um, certainly an equal to the first two movies. Uh, I don't know if it would exceed them just yet, but uh, the point is... Um, it's awesome, and Pixar's winning streak uh, continues easily. Yeah, I think it's better than the second movie, and a lot really? of people thought that that movie was better than the first one. I think it's better than the first one. Right, and I, I'm not sliding that movie at all. Yeah. I think it's great. It ranks probably eighth for me on my all-time Pixar list, but look, aside from number 10, which is Cars, directed by John Lasseter, which is the only Pixar movie that I don't like, 
um, that is no insult to the rest of those movies. And we've talked about this before. They're all great. Right. Uh, legitimately, including A Bug's Life, which was sandwiched in between the first two Toy Story movies. Yeah, and that's yeah, a really it's, solid it's a really movie. Good movie. Yeah, um, but I totally bought into this. Um, I was a little cynical going in just mm-hmm. because this is the second sequel uh, to Toy Story. And with Pixar, um, you look forward to that originality, that comforting feeling that you have these storytellers who are trying new things with each movie and surprising us every time we go see one of their films. They totally did that the first time we saw what they had to offer in Toy Story. I I had never seen anything like it. Nobody had. Um, And it it was so refreshing. And sequels aren't as refreshing unless, I don't know, we can always refer back to The Godfather Part 2 or Terminator 2, uh, Aliens. There have been successful sequels, obviously. Um, But... With Pixar, you just kind of want to know what's coming next, I guess. And you kind of have this feeling that Disney might have had a say in uh, saying, look, let's let's keep this party going. Everybody likes these movies. It worked with the second one. It was, it was more critically acclaimed than the first, yet we made a, a whole lot more money. And, again, a cynical person might have expected that same experience with this one and just wanted another Ratatouille or Up, something totally fresh and original. But, look, this is one of the most exciting action-adventure movies I've seen in a while. And I think it is kind of not only in the same literal family with The Incredibles, but I think maybe stylistically and thematically, just in terms of what's happening on screen with these characters, the exciting sequences that are just wonderfully conceived and executed. I was on the edge of my seat uh, really wondering what was going to happen to these beloved characters that we first met in 1995. Did you get that same sort of feeling? Yeah, I mean, as, as as an adult... Mm-hmm. I kind of knew in the back of my mind that uh, there's no way that Disney and Pixar are going to let too much harm befall, you know, Woody and Buzz Lightyear. But at the same time, you know, being into the movie, you know, you just get into it so much that you're like, what's going to happen? Are they going to make it out of this? This is insane. We're not going to spoil anything, no, no, but no. I, I mean, I must say, at the 11th hour there right. in this movie, did you not have that feeling? I mean, you obviously know, again, this is Dick. Disney and sure. Pixar. I mean, some, something good should happen. Right. But at that moment, at that moment, I thought something was going to happen. Which instantly ranks, by the way, in the top tier of Pixar moments, I would say. Yeah. Um, great, great little moment that, again, we're, we're trying to tread around. But, but once you see the movie, you, you should know what we're talking about immediately because it's this really graceful, wordless sequence mm-hmm. um, where hope seems lost. Um, but, but, uh, man, what an intense, I mean, like, uh, as far as Pixar movies go, I, this one has its fair share of darker moments, mm-hmm. too, which I suppose was, was expected going in considering the premise, uh, in which, uh, Andy, the, the child from the first two movies has grown up and is moving away and now must decide what to do with his toys. Mm-hmm. You know, even from the, even from the word go, the collection of toys is so drastically smaller, um, you know, you're hit with that, you know, these themes immediately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Pixar might have had us in mind too, people who were very young when they saw the first movie, and we've grown up with Andy, essentially, and we're a little bit older than him, maybe, and they know that the people who first latched onto these characters are more mature, maybe. Of course, they're trying to sell this product to children, and they're going to be very successful about it. We'll, We'll 
which we'll talk about later, but I don't think that they were afraid to get mature and dark like that, and I think that they were highly successful at doing that. And again, you have this sort of um, suspenseful element that they play throughout the entire thing, especially uh, once they get to the daycare. Uh -huh. And I thought that when they got there and they met the new toys who welcomed them with open arms, I thought once those events started playing out, it was the cleverest I've seen Pixar uh, writing-wise in a while. Because you have all of these uh, just terrific moments, one thing leading to another, and you sort of figure out what's going on there. There might be more to these new toys than you than you might have thought before, uh, who are all very uh, nice and shiny, cute and cuddly. This is a very colorful movie, and it's punctuated again by these new toys uh, and the ones that we're, we've been used to. But they meet Lotso, who's played by Ned Beatty, who we haven't really heard from in a while, uh, which is kind of neat. And he's this just this head, big uh, purple strawberry um, smelling teddy bear, I the guess. Southern you could say. politician. Right, yeah, and he's just kind of got the southern drawl, and he welcomes them to Sunnyside, the daycare. And uh, again, there's just there's a little more to these guys, and they, they, they show them their new room, which is just beautiful to look at. And uh, they're so happy to be there. And then uh, one thing leads to another, and our story just completely gets rolling. And it kind of turns into this prison break uh, movie. And I, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, yeah. it, the flow and the pace was just perfect. And I was, I was excited. I really was a lot more so than I was with the last film, which kind of had similar themes in a way. I mean, each movie is about basically these toys getting back to their owners. Somehow they've uh, found a separation and they have to find their way back together. Right. I, I would I would say that pacing-wise, this this is effortless. Mm -hmm. It just seems so natural and, and so... I mean, it just flows from one scene to, ne to the next in an unbelievable way. You know, you don't see the seams in this sort of film like you do in... I mean, but everybody says this whenever any Pixar movie comes out. They make it look easy. It's and, and, you know, we see so many 3D animated or just regular animated films come out a year now that we know this is not easy at all. Um, but there's, I mean, just the ease at which they tell the story and, and the, the, you know, the great way they do it and the way they're not afraid to go places and to engage ideas that other places seem to be afraid of doing. Um, it just puts this movie and it puts Pixar in a class by itself. Yeah, and we should note that we saw this in 2D and not 3D. Right, right. And you said that you have plans to maybe see it in 3D I do, in yeah. the future. I do not. Uh, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I got. And if I had to see it again, I would see it in 2D again. Uh, but again, I might wait for Blu-ray. But I just find myself so amazed by Pixar films. And you can, you can say this about any animated movie where you have to manipulate every single millisecond of what you see on screen. Uh, visually and audibly and I think that in a way this is right there visually with Wally, in terms yeah. of how much is going on and how amazed you are it's with an the, incredibly yeah. detailed movie yeah, it is it's one of their most maturely shot and uh, realized movies I guess you could say so many new interesting compositions a lot of this movie is shot at night mm -hmm. which has to be tough for animators you would think uh, but there were some cases where I was like, wow, that actually looks real. And I know that that's been a challenge for Pixar to w when they almost make something look a little too real. I think that they had that problem with Finding Nemo when they were doing test footage 
for whales and other things where it looked like the real deal, but they sto- they still wanted to maintain this synthetic quality uh-huh. that made it an animated movie. But there were close-ups of uh, Lotso. Uh, there was one shot in particular where he's talking to Buzz where I thought, that they actually just took a Panavision camera and shot these toys come to life. I mean, it looks for real. And it helps that, again, we talk about these details to these toys, some of these old beat-up toys. Lotso is this... Uh, teddy bear you know made of cloth and he has these dirt stains yeah he's slightly matted in place yeah and it just looks so real you've seen that toy before and it it was just amazing and i was really satisfied with a lot of the new characters they introduced i guess uh other than Lotso, you have to emphasize ken from the barbie mattel line who's played by michael keaton uh in you know what i hope is something that leads to a comeback for this guy because he's fantastic here yeah, he Ken is is an incredibly memorable character. He gets most of the film's big laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, though in rewatching Pixar's movies uh, over the past week, which I did, um, Michael Keaton is no stranger to Pixar. Mm-hmm. I, I had forgotten that he provided the voice of the villain in Cars, if that right. movie can be said to have a villain. <laughs> um, That's I, right. I really like that movie though. Yeah. Uh, but you know he's great. Ken is a great character. Um, it's 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 a lot of fun, and I you know, I hope Michael Keaton sees more work too. Though he is in the the Adam McKay movie that comes out le- later this summer. Yeah, he's the like police yeah. chief or something like that. But where Pixar succeeds, where others don't, is the emotional aspect sure. of their movies. And yeah, I've watched the Toy Story movies the past few weeks too. And you know, I always I have a very soft spot for the first one. It's hard for me to rank it any lower than say like five on my right. list just because it's where it all started it's why I bought into Pixar in the first place and it really does still hold up um, but if you're looking at the filmography of this studio you see that they do mature and they get better they, they really do uh, with their stories and with their characters and, and how they execute them uh, and whether that's just with lines or music or just um, really thorough uh, arcs to these characters um, and I was afraid that we might be missing that with this movie going into it, just because, again, this is the third Toy Story movie. We're already used to it. We've seen, we've seen them go through the worst, so to speak, in their universes. <clears throat> but there were moments where I was really touched and moved uh, because you, they introduce a new character, a human character, uh, Bonnie, who I believe her mother works at the daycare center. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, sometimes she plays with some of the to- the new toys that... Uh, come to the new daycare center and again I'm not gonna give anything away here but Bonnie to me is one of Pixar's best new characters or best characters period that they've introduced here and what I really wanted to happen early in the movie it happened and it it made me very happy and I've got to hand it to Randy Newman too who did the music am I right yes that's right um he did it for the first two movies and does it again here uh where I thought the film might have had some shortcomings music wise I thought he delivered I did too. during the climax of the movie, but I will say, and this is my bias, Corey, uh, that I've completely sung about on this show before, and you know, to my to my friends, the movie needed Michael Giacchino. Oh, yeah. It, it well, did, man. Like, in he's done several Pixar movies, and I'm, I think he's going to be doing uh, John Carter of Mars oh, for wow, Andrew Stanton. I think so. Great. Yeah, but during some of the suspenseful action sequences uh-huh. and uh, heightened. Drama, dramatic moments it kind of had this playful 
Randy Newman uh, feel going on, and it wasn't as, um, I don't know, I wasn't as tense as the movie might have wanted me to be, based on what was happening on screen. It just kind of felt like You Got a Friend in Me is playing, while Lotso and these other characters are maybe at odds with some others, and I, I really thought that that's where you have somebody like Giacchino who has stepped up this aspect of Pixar storytelling. It would have benefited the movie. Uh, I like Randy Newman. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I like I like that. I the, the music in this movie is of a of a piece with the other two movies. Mm-hmm. I think changing composers, you know, while Randy Newman was still able to do it, um, would have been a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So just for consistency reasons, but but his contributions, particularly near the end of the movie, mm-hmm. I thought were were great. Did the movie? reach you emotionally like other Pixar movies have in the past? Yeah, all I want to say is I'm really glad there is a, a reel of extra scenes during the credits so I could, you know, calm down. Yeah, because, you're glad the theater is dark. Right. Yeah. You know, if I had seen it in 3D, those glasses, let's just say, would have been, would have been nice <laughs> to have. Well, uh, I mean, this isn't, this isn't, there's nothing I would say on the, on the level of up, um, you know, just reaching out and crushing your heart during the first 20 minutes mm-hmm. of that movie, uh, but the ending of Toy Story 3 is pretty, uh, it gets you pretty misty, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's well up there with, with Pixar, I mean, it, it's just stunning how they can do this, how you can go into a movie, a, a, a second sequel of all things, you know, sure you have emotional connection to these characters, but you don't expect to have that much of an emotional connection, nor do you expect to be so moved by, I don't know, a rat cooking or or two robots in love mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, just the way they consistently do it is just so amazing to me. Yeah, and like Randy Newman winning me over, and he totally did during that last sequence, yeah. um, the Andy character had to as well because I thought early in the movie, he's, you know, he's now 17, he's going to college, but he behaves like a 13-year-old. Uh, in the way he talks back to his mom or is mean to his sister, his little sister, who uh, wants his room when he's about to leave for college. And he, tr- you know, he, it, 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 to me, it just reminded me of this sort of dynamic between two much younger kids. He didn't seem mature enough to go to college. He'll, he'll get eaten alive, is what I thought. But again, he, like Randy Newman, towards the end of the movie, totally wins me over in uh, what he does with another character. Uh, but And another thing I want to point out that I really loved about the movie is the way Woody runs. Did you notice that? Yeah, I, I always laugh every time I see that throughout the movies. Yeah. But, but yeah, there's that one shot of him running towards, I think, a yeah. door. Runs a long uh, way. Yeah, and it's so, it's so funny uh, every time I see it. It kind of reminded me of the very silly moments where Team America was incredibly <laughs> aware of right. the marionettes uh, that it was using. When and they would, like walk i guess yeah i don't don't know if anybody ever ran but uh exactly it it looked just like that but it was great and before we go again uh i think that this is probably the best work that tom hanks has done in years um he just does outstanding vocal work like he's done in the past couple and I, i just i think that this is his best performance in a while in a while yeah yeah i mean i can't think of anything else that could possibly compare but yeah you're right right i mean seriously i mean this is one of the best actors of our generation mm-hmm. and i think that he might have lost a step you know we talk about losing their fastball and i think tom hanks might be one of those guys but it's good to see that he still got it here with toy story with a character that this 
trilogy belongs to, really, the Woody character. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the voice acting throughout this movie is just superb. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already mentioned Ned Beatty and Michael Keaton, but Tom Hanks. I, I loved Timothy Dalton um, as, as the uh, thespian hedgehog. Toy. I didn't know that was Timothy Dalton. He yeah. was great. Those, yeah. new, those new characters, the new toys... There, there are two different sets of new toys, and that one was fantastic. Right. I mean, you've also got Jeff Garland in there, mm-hmm. uh, and Bonnie Hunt, and Kristen Shaw, um, who are all really awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, the girl from Flight of the Concords? Yeah, Kristen Shaw. That's Kristen Shaw? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, and just the the returning cast, I mean, you don't really have any, any uh, faults in anything. You know, Tim Allen doesn't really have a whole lot to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's um, kind of, Buzz Lightyear is a side character here. Yeah. He's not, I, you know, I, I kind of wonder why that is in a way, but, but this movie is pretty Woody-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tim Allen is, is great. Uh, there's a development with his character that I don't want to really spoil, mm-hmm. that, that, that is fun. Um, and, and Don Rickles and Estelle Harris are always a, always a pleasure, yeah. uh, and especially here. Yeah, and I've always thought that Ham was John Ratzenberger's best contribution to Pixar, and he's great in everything that he's in, but uh, I really love what he does with uh, that character. And he's got some of the funniest lines yep. in this movie, uh, for sure. And Wallace Shawn, again, brings right. it as Rex. I mean, they, they are, they're all bringing their A game, and it's good to see. And I, I look forward to seeing what Lee Unkrich does next, too. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, when Laster was in charge and he finally handed, handed it over to guys like Andrew Stanton and Pete Docter, and then Brad Bird comes in, these guys know... Uh, talent when they see it, uh, and it's good to know that we'll be in the hands of Lee Unkrich probably in the future. It's kind of funny when you think about it that John Laster handed this movie over, sort of passed it on to uh, to another director. Yeah. Um, just thematically, it seems appropriate. Yeah, well, it sounds like we both really, really like this movie and are looking forward to seeing it, and it is playing nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. But when we come back, we may not be through with Pixar's original heroes after all, according to the latest film's director, Unkridge, who we just talked about. So stick around. This is Aspect Radio. Bill and me, we're going to f*** you up. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. 2D with your standard Pixar experience, the computer animation, and it's my audience was kind of dumbfounded by it, um, and we're, I'm kind of going off on a tangent because I was just reminded of it, but my audience really didn't know how to react to it, and it took a while, and I think that 
the, I guess what you could call the speech that the short makes is kind of speaking to the audience, right. to our audience, about what they're seeing on screen, really, and about what the characters within the short are experiencing, too. And it just gave me an incredibly warm feeling. Yeah. Um, and it's really beautiful, and I, I cannot I would go see Toy Story 3 again just to see that short. Again. I would go see Toy Story 3 in 3D to see that short rendered in 3D. Is that a 3D short? Yes, I, I bet that's spectacular. I bet that does some interesting things. Yeah. But going back to your question... Um, I wouldn't mind, because honestly, again, I'm not a big fan of Cars, uh -huh. but I actually prefer the short that Cars generated after it was released. Which one was that? Uh, it, another Mater, it was like a Mater short. Oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah, Mater in the Ghost Light. Was that before another movie, or, no, that, okay, it that just was came on out? The DVD. Right. That's, that's actually, you know, something that Pixar has always done, they've always done little shorts, for each of their films mm -hmm. that they put on the DVD release of the film. Right. So doing a Toy Story 3 short would not be out of character for them. No. But they don't usually put these movies in front of in front of other releases. They right. They just, they're DVD shorts. Yeah, and Mike's new car right. from Monster Zing I thought was fantastic. It's just a nice little aside, and if we get to spend more time with these characters, what's the fault in that? Right. Um, I love the Jack-Jack short attached to The Incredibles. That yeah. is arguably their best one. Um, Ratatouille had one that was more of like a 2D thing about the history of rats. Your friend the rat. Right, which yeah. was really good too. It's so, really no, I, I don't have a problem with it. But again, you can make that argument that uh, Pixar breeds originality, and they do so with their shorts as well. We get a new one every single time. And I always forget that we're going to see a short when I see a Pixar movie <laughs> in the theater. But when it comes up, I get really excited. Last night I was in the theater with my wife, Tess, and you see the, the sort of briefer... Pixar uh, studio, um, the company credit, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure, I forgot, you know, and I'm totally fine with it, and they yeah. kind of give you that old uh, movie theater experience where you see a cartoon before you see your feature presentation, and I really love that. I wish they would, um, and they haven't done it, well, they did it in front of Up, but they didn't do it in front of Wally and now Toy Story 3, they used to do specially made teasers for their upcoming features. Right. Uh, and I think their upcoming, their, their next film is Cars 2, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But there's, um, there was no teaser in front of this one. I was kind of disappointed. Well, you can that. just go to like Target or something and just walk through the toy, <laughs> walk section, through the toy section and you get your trailer for the next Cars movie. You get my Lightning McQueen toy. And right. The, yeah. You probably have a Lightning McQueen toy. I want one. Yeah. Uh, well, in other news, Bloody Disgusting. Dot com, I guess, reported on Thursday that Don Cheadle and Frida Pinto caught offers to appear alongside James Franco in the upcoming Planet of the Apes prequel set to start shooting... Wait a second, I'm sorry, that was in the Jonah Hex notes for that show, so who cares? Moving on, Deadline Hollywood <laughs> reports that Leonardo DiCaprio is set to play J. Edgar Hoover in an untitled biopic to be scripted by Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black of Milk fame. And that other Oscar winner dude, Clint Eastwood, is going to direct it. And Brian Grazer is producing. Production begins later this year. Quite an all-star team to tell this story, Corey. Are you there? I'm there, but can I just qualify that by saying, you know, maybe Clint should uh, take a vacation. You know, just take a little time off. Why would you say that? I love a lot of what he's done this decade, but... Invictus just seemed so much the work of somebody going through the numbers and wanting to make an Oscar movie that it, it lacked any actual soul. I just don't want this to turn out the same way. But why would Clint Eastwood want to make Oscar fodder when he's got several Oscars? That's a good question. Yeah, so I don't understand that. 
Um, I haven't seen Invictus yet. I buy that it's Oscar fodder based on the trailer alone, based on the idea alone. It, it is. Um, it totally is. I will see it for sure. I, you know, I still want to see a Clint Eastwood movie that I haven't seen. But I think that Million Dollar Baby and Changeling are Clint Eastwood at the top of his game. Changeling? I love Changeling. And it really caught me off guard. Really? I did not think that I was going to like that movie. I, was, I really don't yeah, like it. Yeah, I was dreading seeing Man. Changeling. But I watched it and absolutely loved it. I, yeah, I don't I don't really care for Changeling at mm -hmm. all. I, I mean, like, since Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah. I, I mean, and Gran Torino. Gran Torino is fun, but yeah. it's, not, it's not great. And I certainly wouldn't say the Changeling or Invictus were really worth much at all. Well, look, he's still got it. And I think he's one of these old directors that we talked about a couple of episodes ago that has not lost his fastball. And... Some people might even argue that Clint Eastwood is maturing as a filmmaker, and he might have reached his peak maybe uh, earlier in this decade. Uh, a lot of people like Mystic River. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think Million Dollar Baby is the superior movie. I, I, I think it's superior. I, I love Mystic River, and uh -huh. I love Letters from Iwo Jima, mm -hmm. and I would say that those three movies are you know, him at his peak. But I, I think even in 2006 with Flags of Our Fathers, we start seeing him slip a little bit. Yeah, and I think that kind of carried into Letters of Iwo Jima, which is clearly better than Flags of Our Fathers, although it doesn't have John Slattery and that killer mustache yeah. uh, again. But that was, that was awesome. What more can you ask for? Um, but look, I think it's interesting that he's working with Leonardo DiCaprio here, who has they've never worked together, and he's playing an interesting character, J. Edgar Hoover, to say the least. And you've got Dustin Lance Black, who I think is perfect to write the Hoover movie, the J. Edgar Hoover movie. Um... And we'll find out uh, why that is soon, I'm sure. But I, I had a lot of fun, actually, with Billy Crudup in, as J. Edgar Hoover in I Public Enemies. Yeah, I kind of want to see Crudup play the role. He was a, he was a bright spot in yeah. that movie. He could me. be like the Michael Sheen to Tony Blair that, you know, for <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover. You know what I mean? Where he gets to play him every single time. Right, right. But you've also got Bob Hoskins as J. As J. Edgar Hoover in Nixon, Oliver Stone's movie oh, from yeah. 1995. Uh, a very strange moment in that movie, uh, if you've ever seen it. Um, but anyway, that I, you know, it's something to look forward to. Although I, I am a little worried about DiCaprio just kind of doing the funny Hoover voice. Well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Speaking of uh, DiCaprio, Inception's getting early Oscar buzz, but the Hollywood Reporter speculated that we have yet to see any real contenders for the Best Picture Oscar. Uh, in fact, they think. Christopher Nolan's Thriller is one of a few summer releases that could resonate on Academy voters' minds come winter, like when District 9, Up, and Inglorious Bastards managed to ride strong box office and word of mouth to receive several Oscar nominations last year. What do you think? Do you foresee any already released or shortly upcoming movies that could generate awards buzz at this point? I think Inception might be the only thing. Uh, obviously, Toy Story 3 is in the driver's seat to win Best Animated Feature. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't seen anything yet where I've thought, okay, that's going to stick around and we're going to see it come February when the nominations are released. And even with the 10, the 10 Best Picture nominee format, I still don't really see anything yet. Do you? Toy Story 3. You think it'll get a nom? I think it will. Well, I think since the Academy expanded to 10 nominees, mm -hmm. Toys, the, the Pixar is is virtually guaranteed a slot provided they continue to make great movies. Yeah. And I think that Toy Story 3 is going to be on its way with this opening weekend to be the highest grossing film of the year. Um, it's certainly 
the best reviewed film of the year so far, certainly, well, at least in wide release. Mm-hmm. I don't know about anything else. Um, I think it's in. Um, of course, the, the stigmas against not only animated films, but sequels still apply. So, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not as secure as, say, Up mm-hmm. was, but... Um, but Toy Story never got to win its Oscar, though. That's true. It got a special Oscar for right. Pixar, sort of. And Toy Story 2 came out before the Best Animated Feature uh, category was even created, though mm-hmm. Toy Story 2 did win the Golden Globe for Best Picture right. Musical Comedy. Yeah, so maybe the Academy is ready to, to hand it over to uh, Toy Story. It's, it's probably a shoe-in for Best Animated Feature. I, you know, and, and it pains me to say that because How to Train Your Dragon mm-hmm. is so good. You never know. Yeah, I mean, Toy Story 3 is better, I would say, but How to Train Your Dragon is just remarkable, especially considering that it sort of seemed like a DreamWorks write-off in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It didn't get the promotion that a lot of their movies get, or it, it, didn't, it didn't feel like to me they were really taking it seriously. You know, if they wanted to... Uh, you know, truthfully, I think that they should have released Shrek in March and and How to Train Your Dragon and give it the prime, you know, blockbuster spot. Not only because it's good, but because it offers something that people haven't seen. And Shrek would have made its Shrek money no matter when it was released. Well, yeah, I, I think that they know, they knew when they wanted to release the sequel, the second sequel to the highest animated grocer of all time during the summertime, uh, and that's just how they think, you know, but you're right, I do think it would have made its money whenever, and it's a shame that Toy Story 3 actually has another movie to compete with based on a trailer that we saw before uh, it last night, Tangled. Hmm. Did you see that trailer? Yeah, yeah. That looks terrible. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's one of the worst trailers I've seen in years. I, you're not a 14-year-old girl. Well, then. still, they're not marketing. Still, I like these computer animated movies for the most part, and I'm, you know, I'm interested uh, in at least watching a good trailer. But I'm telling you, this is the worst I've seen so far. And the fact that it's called Tangled, I don't know. I don't know what to think. And look, in a perfect world, Shutter Island would be getting Oscar consideration, but. We don't live in a perfect world, and it probably won't. It probably won't. It'll probably get a couple tech mentions. Uh, I think Robert Red- Richardson still should be just handed the Oscar outright for cinematography for that film. Um, but the good news is that Shutter Island has caught on in a big way since its home video release. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's still constantly uh, up there in the trending topics on Twitter, which aren't really any scientific way of measuring anything, but the fact that a, a a DVD Blu-ray release sort of outranked the A-Team and the Karate Kid last weekend as far as mentions on Twitter go. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think it's catching on. I think that as people see it on video, it'll stay in people's minds. Uh, though I don't see that getting in for Best Picture, which is a shame. Yeah. It's a very, very good movie. Maybe had it been released during the summer, it might have, uh, or the fall, I think, is more appropriate right. for that movie. I think it it certainly would have uh, made the cut, but you never know. I mean, why they chose to throw Scorsese's movie in the, the doldrums of the Hollywood movie season is certainly beyond me, I, why they treat that guy like that. And that film especially, which is his best in a long time, Makes no sense to me, but I think that's all the news we have. Yeah, when we come back, uh, we'll have DVD picks, some announcements, and uh, what's playing next at the Bama Art House movie series. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
I thought I told you never to interrupt me while I'm working. Money point seven. Here on Aspect Radio, I'm Ben Flanagan, he's Corey Kraft, and we've got a few things to share with you that you might enjoy on the couch this week. Corey, start us off. Well, uh, this week sees the release of Denzel Washington's The Book of Eli. I think I mentioned it briefly last week, but um, this is a surprisingly good January release now, seeing uh, Blu-ray and DVD release. Um, It's sort of post-apocalyptic action film. spaghetti western samurai movie type deal. Yeah, and um, you tweeted about it earlier. I yeah, saw. I, I watched it again last night. You're a I'm fan. A, I'm a big fan yeah. of this movie. This is a stylish, very fun action movie uh, with a very good Denzel Washington performance. Um, Gary Oldman is great as the villain in the supporting cast, which includes uh, Ray Stevenson, um, Michael Gambon, and Tom Waits. is very, very strong as well. Uh, Tom Waits being in a movie virtually guarantees quality as far as I'm concerned. And Mila Kunis, right? Mila Kunis, um, who is one of the more controversial aspects of this movie. That's what I hear. But uh, I like her. I like her here. I think she does a good job. Uh, is the character a bit perfunctory? Maybe, but, you know, that's that's the breaks. It's a studio movie. What are you going to do? Um, also this week, um, if you're tired of Michael Sarah. Um, which I am not, but um, a lot of people are, apparently, uh, you might want to avoid Youth and Revolt, in which he plays two characters. Uh, one, um, a virginal teenager obsessed with losing that stigma, and the second being that, uh, that character's uh, bad boy alter ego. I think that Youth and Revolt is a lot of fun. Um, I think it's a, it's a funny movie. I'm not really tired of Michael Sarah, and I don't understand how... People could say that because he hasn't really made a whole lot of movies in the past four years. Um, he's only really been the star of like four of them, and he had that supporting role in Juno. Uh, so I don't, I don't understand that complaint. But if you're not tired of Michael Cera, I do recommend Ethan Revolt, which also has a killer supporting cast uh, of Zach Galifianakis, Ray Liotta, um, Fred Willard. Uh, Justin Long and a couple other really funny people. Sounds like it should work. It 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 mostly does. It's not perfect, um, but it is it is uh, it's funny enough. Did you read the novel? No, I never did. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know it was a book until you know a few weeks after it came out. Yeah. So, but I have not seen that either. So that might be something to look forward to. It is a funny movie. Yeah. Does that yeah. do it for you? That does it for me. Okay. Well, based on your recommendation. A few times on this show, I got Mysterious Skin oh, awesome. on DVD, yeah, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We're big fans, or I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be a fan, I yeah. guess you could say. And I also hope to finish the conversation from '74, the couple of movie that followed or came right before The Godfather Part Two. Uh, same year. Same year. Big year for Coppola there. Yeah, the the, <laughs> the conversation um, might be one of my favorite movies of his. 
um, might surpass the Godfather Part Two for me as far as 1974 wow. Francis Ford Coppola. Movies Killer go. Gene Hackman and John Cazale and Harrison Ford turns up. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's and a, a few other. It's a great movie. Yeah, a few other familiar faces. So that that's good stuff. I'm looking forward to finishing that. I'm I'm almost done. Box office wise, things picked up as The Karate Kid, the film we chose not to review last week, took in an impressive $56 million while the A Team, which we did review, disappointed with under $30 million. That's disappointing, I would say. Yeah, I, you know, I think the A Team deserves a little better than that, though I, I wouldn't really blame people for not knowing that this isn't, you know, not just some studio junk. Mm-hmm. Um,. It's a fun movie, though. It's a shame that it's doing so poorly, but that's uh, that's just how it goes when Hollywood has put out one disappointing action movie after another in the past year. Yeah, and for an entertaining read, you should go to Deadline.com, where director Joe Carnahan sort of goes off on Nikki Fink, who had that. some snarky things to say about the A-team's performance and the quality of the movie, but as she has stated on these airwaves before, she's not the best critic in the world uh, so, again, I agree with you. I think it's a really fun movie, and I'm surprised that it didn't do very well. I think that it, in the case of Nikki Fink, somebody somewhere had an axe to grind oh. against the A-Team yeah. and uh, sort of fed her some information. Um, and Joe Carnahan's reaction to that, I, I, I would be frustrated, too. Let's just say that. Yeah, well, she always likes to grind axes, so to speak. Uh, she's never afraid to do so. But, uh, Corey, numbers are up. A little higher than the past couple of weeks, especially thanks to the Karate Kid's performance, and I think we can likely expect an even bigger increase with Toy Story 3. What kind of staying power do you think this movie's going to have? This movie's going to play throughout the summer. I don't really anticipate anything stopping it, not even the July 9th release of uh, the next animated film, Despicable Me, uh, which will take, I think, Toy Story's 3D screens, or a large number of them, but I don't see that really slowing it down. I think, I, I, you know, I'm hesitant to predict um, domestic numbers for mm-hmm. Toy Story 3 when all said and done, but I do think there's a big shot that this will end up being the year's highest grossing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's likely, in fact, because I don't, I don't know of anything else that could really pick that up, unless Inception picks, you know, captures everybody's imagination in a big way. Yeah, um, and we do have some early numbers on Deadline.com. They say that this movie will potentially gross $120 million this weekend. That's that's Pixar's highest grossing yeah. opening weekend by far. And that's big. That's very big. So, uh, something to look forward to for Pixar and Disney, for sure. And opening nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cop Hollywood 16 this weekend, Pixar's Toy Story 3, which we reviewed and liked very much, starring Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, and Michael Keaton is on board this time. And a movie starring Josh Brolin, John Malkovich, Michael Fassbender, Michael Shannon, and Will Arnett is out. That's in theaters right now. Oh, and Megan Fox is in it too. It's called Jonah Hex. We've talked about it before. Also, keep an eye out for the Bama Art House summer movie series, which continues with Roman Polanski's latest movie, The Ghost Rider. And that'll play next Tuesday at 8 p.m. at the Bama Theater. It's a good picture. You've seen it. It played yeah. in Birmingham for a little while. Yeah, it, uh, it's very good. Yeah. It's very fun. I, I also have one more note. Sure. Um, tonight at the Cobb is a sneak preview screening of the new Tom Cruise Cameron Diaz action oh. film, Night and Day. I think that starts at 7.10. 
Um, but if you're interested in getting a leg up on next week's releases, um, you should check that out. I have to say, Night and Day, I think, is a strange title for that movie because I, I don't really know what it means. I, I don't know anything about and it. And neither of those characters, according to IMDb, are named Night or Day. Uh, but he is a secret agent, so maybe it yeah, is one so, of Yeah, so wait, names. really? That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I just kind of assumed that that was their you know, no. naming of that So pair. why is it called that? And it's been beaten to the punch in terms of what has used those words as a good title in the Pixar short that we saw, Day and Night. That's right. Yeah, so sorry, Night and Day. <laughs> it's already not working out for you. Yeah, um, are we'll you going to go see it? it? Uh, I'm going to try <laughs> We're, we're going to a wedding today. Oh, um, is, is it a double feature? Do you know? I don't know. They used to do the double features Yeah, they used the to. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, and, and that it, was great. And if it was, I would suspect that since this is a Fox release, it would be a double feature with the A-Team, which would be a fun double feature, I would hope. Do you remember any good double features from your childhood? Um, It was a while back when they were doing it. It was a while it. back. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't. I know that there was... Uh, sneak preview of contact but i don't remember what it was with yeah um yeah one of my best ones my dad and my brother and i we went and saw the rock Uh and phenomenon oh boy and then we saw a time to kill which was great i love that movie Uh and eraser and then (laughs) graham and i we went and saw speed Uh followed by airheads the comedy with Brendan Fraser and Joe Montaigne, among others. And then I think I saw one that was Beethoven, the dog movie, yeah, the yeah. St. Bernard picture, and The Babe with John Goodman as Babe Ruth, I think, maybe. Or I just saw those two movies on the same day. Huh. But I've, I've had some good ones, for sure. Ones. I think the last one I saw might have been There's Something About Mary, followed by the first X-Files movie. That would have been awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's different. But, you know, it, it they tend to do it with the same studio. Yeah. 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 And, and so it was it was odd, but I, I that was the only way I would have seen the X-Files movie for free yeah. in a double feature. I, I don't see them doing that with this particular sneak preview. It's been a while since the studio has done double features. but um, Yeah, and they don't make any money off of it. Yeah. So why would they? They, they certainly wouldn't want to give people free tickets to the A-Team at this point, I, yeah. would, I wouldn't think. I wonder if back in the early 90s, there were studio heads that were screaming at their writers, saying, I want another St. Bernard picture. You know, like... <laughs> I, I'm picturing Michael Lerner Exactly, Barton Michael Fink. Lerner. Give me another St. Bernard picture. There should be like a Barton Fink sequel about a guy trying to write another St. Bernard movie and having trouble with it. It's a B-movie, a St. Bernard picture. Exactly. <laughs> Just write it, Fink. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, all right, uh, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. If you feel we've missed something or you have any suggestions as to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please do email us. And you can also follow us at Twitter uh, at Aspect Radio or twitter.com slash Aspect Radio. You can download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com, Tumblr being spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. But you can't listen to our show from last week where we talked about the A-Team because the person that's in charge of editing and posting these podcasts somehow deleted that one forever where nobody could listen to it. So we do apologize to the listeners. Corey apologizes especially (laughs) uh, because it was was his fault. Yeah, obviously. Basically. No, I take full responsibility. It was my fault. It won't happen again. Just in summary, we like the A-Team. 
Yeah, we did. And uh, Graham came on and talked about Karate Kid and its Oscar chances. So there's your summary for that show. And we do apologize for that. It won't happen again. Knock on wood. Literally. Don't forget to visit our buddy Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where you'll find some cool podcasts and really fun blogging over there that often feature Corey's reviews, though. I haven't seen one in a while, Corey. I did Sex in the City ah, uh, okay. last week. I'll look forward to that. I haven't read that one. And you can catch mine and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. And on July 10th, I'm really excited about this, Adam Kempinar from the terrific movie podcast Film Spotting, which you can find at filmspotting.net, of which I'm a huge fan. He'll join us live, 9 a.m., to talk summer movies, film criticism, and he'll help us out with our elusive AFI journey, Corey. It'll happen, but he's going to help us, and I think that his support and enthusiasm is really going to bolster us to actually do that. So do not miss that. That's July 10th. Seriously, it's going to be good stuff. Yeah. And for Corey Craft, I'm Ben Flanagan. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm going home now. I apologize for what I said. I hope you can forget it, but I'm going home right now.